We are in part 34 of our walk through the book of Acts line by line. We've called this series The Empowered Church. We've been watching the rise of Christianity, and we've been kind of tracking along with a guy named Paul the Apostle, and we've been learning what would it look like if a church truly moved in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've been kind of examining that. Now, I want to begin our time together uh, getting your attention towards the fill in the blank with a few thoughts. And the first one is this. Have you all heard the phrase, Christianity isn't a religion, it's a faith? Have you guys heard this? Anybody ever use that phrase? Like, like it's kind of common in Christian circles to say something like that. You know, people go, oh, what religion are you? And y'all, I'm not part of a religion. I'm, I'm, I have a faith. And you go, oh, okay, well, I'm not sure we know what it means. Like we all say it, what we probably mean is Christianity is not a stodgy set of rules. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. I think that's probably what we mean. But, but there is a very special designation and difference between Christianity and other major religions of the world. And I kind of want to talk through that for a moment. The, the word religion is very broad. It, all it means is kind of that you believe in a higher power, right? Of something greater outside. But in modern day vernacular, in the way that we use it, it tends to mean uh, a system whereby mankind connects with the divine. That's, that, that's kind of how we mean it, right? And, and that could be any of the Eastern religions, right? Hinduism, Buddhism, that uh, Taoism, that you are, whether it's a personal God or not, it's this idea of transcendence, something that is greater. If you talk about the Abrahamic religions, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, then you begin to talk about a personal God. But what's so unique about Christianity is that the phrase... A uh, system whereby mankind connects with the divine falls apart. You see, Christianity in the Bible uses phrases like, we are dead in our sins. The most interesting thing about dead people is they don't respond well. Is that correct? Like, like you, you, they don't, no stimulus is going to get their attention. They're dead. So this whole idea that mankind could do anything to connect with the divine actually is not a thing. Christianity says it's impossible, therefore it brings in a concept called grace. Grace is a radically different concept than any other religion because what it says is, if it, uh, if it isn't all God, it's nothing. It's gotta be his love doing all the reaching down. He has to do all the saving, all the rescue. Our righteousness is never gonna be good enough. We can't be good enough. We can't achieve any of it. So either it's God's mercy or nothing. That means that the only thing we bring to the table is a yes, Lord. The only thing we bring to the table is I believe that you are who you say you are, God. That you can do what you say you can do. And I surrender to that. Lord, how about you be in charge? You do all that is necessary to connect me to you. That is what we call faith. And that's really what we mean, that Christianity is not a religious system of achieving, it's more of a faith of a relationship of rescue. And that makes it very, very different. Now, once we're in the Christian circle of things, we start talking about relationship, 
motivation matters. Y'all realize there are healthy relationships and unhealthy relationships, yeah? I mean, okay, just because it's a relationship doesn't make it automatically a healthy thing. There's a lot of manipulation that goes through relationships. And motivation matters. Now, unlike if we're talking about Buddhism, let's say there is an attempt of enlightenment to something greater. That something greater, if it's not personal, doesn't care why you're doing it. You could want to do it because you want to be better than your neighbor. It doesn't matter. There's no accountability for that. But once you're talking about a personal God, there is an offense taken, right? If you are manipulating or trying to manipulate or trying to control, there's an offense that can be taken. So your motivation matters a lot. What your heart means, right? Unfortunately, even we as Christians, we tend to try to manipulate God. And it happens a lot through prayer. Have you noticed that? We say things that are totally inappropriate. We'll say, say things like this, God, if you rescue me from this, I will follow you. What the heck? I'm sorry, who's in charge right now? What, I'm gonna now jump because you say jump? That's not how this works. I'm God, you're not. So don't play that game with me. And what, if I don't rescue you the way that you wanna be rescued, you're what, not gonna follow me? Okay, no, 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 you're trying to call the shots. That's not exactly how it works, right? And then we start saying other things in prayer that are, that are just flat out unhealthy, right? We end, up, we end up telling God, God, you promised you have to do. Okay, anytime you're telling God what he has to do, you're out of line because <laughs> he's just like, no, 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 we're not playing this game right? Oh, but uh, the prayer of Jabez, you know, uh, I'm going to say my incantation and you have to do, okay, stop. What you've done is you've shifted over into magical thinking. You're no longer in prayer, okay? So when we start talking about relationships, we start talking about trying to manipulate or trying to control, we start getting into the issue much more seriously when we start talking about God's power, this year, 2023, the year of power, we're talking about God's power flowing through people, changes reality, changes things. We're talking about healing and salvation and, and, and crazy stuff. Once you get into power structures, things even get a little bit more complicated. It is so tempting to take the things of God and try to achieve our purposes. Take what God gives us and build our kingdom. Hey, God, I really appreciate the power. I'm going to start a ministry, and I'm going to be amazing. Something's wrong with that, right? What are you taking from the gifts of the Lord, and now you're going to be the boss? We tend to pray for a lot of things so that we can be independent of God. And that, that's where things start to get a little bit weird. Because God gives us so much leeway, there's a lot of weird Christians. Would you all agree? Yeah, we're some of them. We must never try to use God. We must always partner with God. And if we're going to be healthy, here's the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. Power flows through relationship with God. Power flows through relationship with God. In other words, it's less what we know and more who we know. Amen? Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. It's page 928, 928. That'll get you there a little bit faster. Let me give you a little context setup. 
So as we've been following this guy, the Apostle Paul, I, I was sharing last week that just his three recorded missionary journeys took him either on foot or by boat to log over 10,000 miles, and he planted 14 churches. Like, this guy is a monster of the faith. Like, this guy is God moving through a totally sold-out individual. God's doing extraordinary work. Well, the last time we left off the story, he was in a very famous city by the name of Ephesus. And what I told you about that was not only that it was a major city, it happened to have one of the seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of Diana. And the reason why I highlight this is not to recap last week or say the same thing. It's to highlight the fact that it was most known for its temple, and that is telling. Because dang, it was a really religious city. You see, for many of us, we think of debauchery, and religiosity as two separate things. We we think of them as very separate. Oh, well, if you're religious, you must be anti this stuff. That is not how the pagan world works. Pagan world worked, you mush it all together in one big ball. In other words, the temple of Artemis had over a thousand temple prostitutes filling the city because the way you would worship was sexual debauchery. It was all tied together. It was in this place that had so much money, but it had temples everywhere. It was so corrupt, but yet at the same time, it was influential. It was like Sin City plus a bunch of churches. It was complicated. And it was here that Paul started a new outpost for Christianity. And you go, wow, how's that going to go? Well, it's going to go weird, all right? And that's what we're going to get into I do want to say one thing is today we're going to be talking about the demonic. We're going to be talking about uh, demons, angels, Satan, stuff like that. And, and so the demonic operate off a bully system. And, and bullies have to get you to buy into a concept. They need to, you to believe something about them that is not true. They need to convince you that they are more important than they really are. And the reason why I'm highlighting this is that there's a bit of a possibility of a trigger here for some of us that we would be more afraid by talking about this subject. So in order to disrupt that and to bring glory to God, because once again, we are not Hollywood, yeah? I'm not interested in doing a horror movie where it feels like the bad guys are bigger than the good guys. Okay, we're not going to do that. I'm going to completely frustrate that because at the end of today, what you must know is the name of the Lord is magnified, yes? Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to have you write down two things if you're a note taker. Write down two things that whatever you hear me say moving forward, these must be locked into your spirit, okay? Write this down. Number one, God is greater. God is greater. Philosophy has misled us over the years by somehow suggesting that there are two equal and opposite powers. There is good and there is evil. Oh my gosh, they're in a big war. There is God and there is Satan. Who's going to win? That is trash. There is creator and there is created. They're nothing alike. There was a time when Satan was not He is not self-existent, only God is. 
We don't even have similar beings. We don't have similar realms. We don't have similar realities. We don't have similar dimensions. We're talking about an entirely other that is God. And then you have rebel. So let's be very clear. God is infinitely greater. It is not up for grabs. It's not, oh my gosh, how's this going to go? What's going to happen? It's God controlling the narrative, okay? So God is greater. Number two, write this down. God is in believers. God is in believers. We gotta memorize 1 John 4, 4. I think you know this one. Greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. All right. So in other words, that what Christianity says is that when we give our lives over to Jesus, what he did on the cross, his, that blood that he shed cleanses our spirits, purifies us out. The Holy Spirit moves in, seals it down, and you are perpetually a new creation, child of God, purified, connected to the Father. Does that make sense? That's what it says. So therefore, we're, we are walking temples where we are housing the presence of God. Therefore, as Jesus said to my children, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That means God is present with you at all times. This is not a battle of you against demons because you would lose that battle. This is a battle between God and Satan who you happen to be a conduit of God, right? So what's so important to realize is that, is that when we engage, we are engaging on behalf of someone else. We're not fighting independently. We're not doing our own thing. We're doing it for God. So when we talk about God being with us, there is a new experience. Some of those benefits is that there's a certain level of freedom and a certain level of protection that comes to God's children. You're like, well, you keep highlighting that. What are you, what are you not saying? Here's what I'm not saying. Human beings are containers. If nobody lives in your house, you're open real estate. So I am not giving any promises to those that do not have the presence of God in their lives. That you are very easily, as with all human beings, very easily can become puppets because there are bigger powers at play, okay? But for God's children, for those that have called out his name, for those that have received him, for those that believe in his name, we have become children of God, and it gives us a very different experience. God is greater, and God is within believers. Anything else I say is not going to trump that, all right? So let's do it. Acts chapter 19, verse 11, let's get into the weird. Acts chapter 19, verse 11, it says, Now, while Paul was in Ephesus, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Pause. That's weird. Right? You guys have a lot of this happening? The first thing that it says, and I think we need to dial in on, on some of the specific, the first thing it says is God was doing extraordinary miracles. Who does extraordinary miracles? 
God, not people. Can we be very clear on this? We do not idolize people. People are conduits. There is only one that deserves glory, that is God. Anyone that does a miracle does it by the power of God, not their own power. We do not have our own power source. It is either God or it's nothing, yes? It is always God. We never stop at the person. You look through the person into the power source behind them, all right? So first of all, God was doing extraordinary miracles. Now, one thing that's interesting is Dr. Luke, who's writing this, said they were extraordinary. That means extraordinary. You're like, well, yeah, they're weird. No, 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 hold on. This dude travels with Paul. Everything's weird. This is a guy in supernatural ministry. He's already seen radical healings. He's already seen incredible things. He's gonna see people be raised from the dead. And he said, no, this was really weird. <laughs> right? So it's a little over the top what we're about to study here. So it's extraordinary. It says God was doing miracles via Paul. God does the miracles. We're the conduits of that power. We don't generate our own. That means vine and branches. Okay, you guys know this? John 15, Jesus tells a parable and he said, all right, you guys, let's, let's dumb this down a little bit. Imagine a vineyard, imagine a grapevine. So you got the grapevine is, is in the ground and as it comes up the stalk, right? It has these branches and out of the branches come the grapes. They're like, yeah, we know. And he goes, all right, so cool. What if you broke off one of those branches and it fell on the ground? How much fruit is it gonna produce? Nothing. He's like, there you go. I'm the vine, and if you're connected to my source, we can do all kinds of cool stuff. You separate from me, you got nothing. Are we clear on that? They're like, yeah, 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 okay. Therefore, guys, we have a lot to do. I need you to remain in me, connected to me, and then we can begin to flow. Everything has to do with a relational basis. All right, great, great, great. But then it says this, and I think this is very important. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. What does that mean to me? It means that Paul needed to do something for the power to flow. Because most of us are like, well, you know, pastor, you talk a lot about supernatural ministry and, you know, I will absolutely join that if I'm sitting at home and my hands light a flame. Okay, wait, wait, hold on. What are you expecting before you get into this? What, you think you're gonna be at home and become an X-Men and then suddenly you're gonna be good? Like you now realize that as flames shoot from your hands that now you're ready to do it? Okay, that's not gonna happen. What you need to do is realize it is in the activity of ministry that God's power begins to flow. In other words, it's gonna require you to get out of your comfort zone. It's gonna require you actually to do things that you would consider risk. Because it's at that moment, things become alive. As long as you're looking at your Christianity through observation lenses or through a plexiglass wall, you're gonna be bored out of your mind. Christianity is not to be observed. Christianity is to be done. That means we get involved. But here's the other interesting thing. It says he needed to touch someone. In other words, God could do any miracles on his own. He doesn't want to. He wants to do them through you. Well, God's gonna do what God's gonna do. Don't be ignorant. He didn't set up that stream. What he set up was, I wanna do things with my kids because when we do things together, we bond. That's what it's always been about. 
You see, if God would just heal somebody, you would go, wow, that's interesting. But when you were the one that laid your hands on somebody and they got healed, you went, oh my goodness, God is here. Big difference. One is relationally bonding, one is intellectual. What God wants to do is build relationship with you through shared experiences. That's why he'll wait you out. There are miracles that are not occurring right now because you're not doing it. You're like, well, God, if it was important, you'd do it. Well, actually, I'm more mature than that, so I'm gonna go ahead and wait you out. Let's see, let's see what happens, because when you start being activated, you're gonna find out, wow, I really wanted to do a lot of cool things, but I was waiting. Yeah? Paul was heavily anointed, and I, I wanna clarify this term anointing, because I'm gonna use it a lot. Anointing means that God extra empowers someone to do heavenly things. That's what anointing means. But anointing is very interesting. If we're gonna keep it on the healthy side, then it's going to largely, the anointing is gonna flow through connection with Jesus. But here's an oddity about anointing. Sometimes God has to get stuff done despite us. Did God not anoint a donkey to talk? That was not because the donkey had done his devotions, right? One of the most anointed people in the Bible is Samson. Don't ever put him in charge of a ministry. He's a bad guy, right? Not a good dude. Okay, so one of the caveats we need to always remember is just because someone is empowered by God doesn't automatically make them mature or safe because God may be using them despite them and sometimes he's using them in partnership with. So for a moment, we're gonna put that on the back burner and we're gonna focus on what healthy looks like. Healthy looks like Paul the Apostle, where he is so in love with the Lord that it's actually flowing in a vine and branches way. That's what we want, so we're gonna keep pursuing that. So what happened in this scenario that was so unusual? Well, his dirty laundry did stuff. That's super cool right? As a matter of fact, it says that his handkerchiefs, which let's pause there for a moment. We clean that up, right? Oh, he's a gentleman. He has a handkerchief. He carries a pocket square, right? Like what the heck? Do you realize that is not the Greek word? The Greek word is sweat rag. There ain't nothing fine about that. That is, oh, I have gross stuff pouring out of my face. I need to mop it up and throw it on the ground. That's what we're talking about. This is not refined, this is work stuff. He wears an apron, why? Because he's working with raw materials. Think about it like a blacksmith, right? They have that kind of that, that work apron on because when you're working with raw materials, it can get a little bit messy. There can be some, as you're doing refining, stuff can get on your clothes and you still need to wear those clothes later so you cover up with an apron. Somehow people were getting a hold of these things. I don't know if he was like, hey, for a limited time and a set of steak knives, you can have one of my, you know, I don't know if he's selling, I don't know what was going on. Or people are like waiting for him to leave and they're like going in the trash and they're pulling out his sweat rag. I have no idea how people got these, but they were taking them out and while they're praying for somebody to be healed, they take his yucky stuff, touch the person and that person is healed or the demon is cast out. That's radical. Oh my goodness, right? And this is where we're like, oh, the ancient world was so weird. Okay, hold up. It's still weird. 
How do we know that? Got a story for you. About 10, 15 years ago, I'm at a conference. And uh, it was a supernatural conference, should have known. And it was, it was a great conference. I feel very blessed to have been there. And the, the, the person that was speaking is uh, very straightforward. There was no real hype or sensationalism, very straightforward. And while this dude is talking, people kept coming up and putting stuff on the stage. And I was like, what are they doing? What are they doing, right? Because it was a little distracting to me because he never acknowledged it. Like he wasn't like, oh, thank you. Like it wasn't like a present. And they were putting stuff and it was in a pile and it looked like material. So I was like, oh, that looks like a rag or that looks like a handkerchief or that looks like a washcloth or whatever. Bunch of stuff was in a pile. And then all of a sudden, while he's talking, another dude comes out from behind the scenes, walks right around him, scoops it up and quietly walks off. He never acknowledges it. And I was like, he knows, right? <laughs> right? That some other guy just took his little pile of stuff. Well, then people kept putting stuff, more stuff came out, and he'd come back out and pick it up. And I was like, you know what I think it is? I think they have a clean and press service here at this. This is the nicest conference. They're just cleaning stuff. They're ironing it, right? And then they're like, hey, if you pick it up afterwards, it'll be ready for you. And then I was like, no, 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 that can't be. Oh, my gosh, they're anointing people's stuff. I was like, wow, that's weird. I never saw that before. I'd heard about that stuff. I had never seen it before. And I was like, wow. So they, they take it back and afterwards they're praying over these items and then those people can take those things home because they've been anointed by somebody that was anointed by God. And I was like, oh, wow, that, that's, kind of, that's kind of crazy. So question for you, is that how it should go? Is that legit? Because here's the interesting thing. For many of us in our background, we were like, bah, that's ridiculous. Okay, what did you just read? So I don't know, is that a normal thing? Is that what we should? You're like, dude, I'm not gonna make a doctrine of one obscure passage. Okay, let's play that game. Mark chapter five. Jesus is doing a ministry. There's tons of people crowding around him. There's a lady who's been bleeding internally for 12 years. You guys know the story? She has the internal hemorrhaging problem. She said, if I could just touch his garment, if I could just touch his robe, I would be healed. She finds her way to sneak through the crowd. She touches his robe, boom, she's healed. Does anybody remember what Jesus said? Because most preachers, we shorten it. What did Jesus say after she had touched him? Yes, so he knew power had gone out from him and he said the phrase, who touched my garment? Now we shorten it, who touched me? That's usually how we say it in preaching. But it's, who touched my garment? He knew somebody touched his clothes. And his clothes ended up healing that person because the power transferred from him through his clothes into that person. That's the concept of impartation. Impartation means transference. I have something, I get it to you, it transfers from me to you. That's why we lay hands on stuff like that. All right. Cool, you're like, ooh, that was weird. I forgot about that story. But there's another one, Mark chapter six. It says Jesus was so moving in the power of the Holy Spirit that the, the village or the town laid their sick out in the marketplace on the ground so that as he walked by, if they could just touch his robe, any who touched it were healed. Which to me seems very cruel because what if you're like just not in the right lane? I feel like the only fair thing for Jesus to do is to walk in a grid pattern. 
I feel like he should go down each aisle and go all the way down so everybody can touch him and just keep going down in the grid pattern. But I don't think he did that. I think he just kind of walked through and if they happened to be nearby, they happened to touch him and they got healed. His robe healed people. Now this is where some of us who are both creative and analytical start to develop our theories, right? Do you have a theory about what's going on? Because it even said, those that touch Paul's skin were used, and you're like, it has his DNA on it. That's why it's healing. It's got his stuff on it. There you can get a little swab and actually find out a little bit from 23andMe or whatever it's called, right? I can find out all kinds of exciting things. I can take it into a lab. There's stuff on it. Like his little juices came out on it. Now his little juices are healing people. And you're like, wow, this is incredible. He's healing by amoebas. (laughs) Now lock that in, in your theology. And now let me blow it out of the water. Acts chapter 5, as Peter walked, his shadow crossed over people, and they were healed. Unless you're Peter Pan, your shadow is not a thing. Is that correct? It's actually just a blocking of light and a reflection. So you can't play the DNA game. There's no DNA. There's no touching of the skin It's a shadow. So what's going on? Seems to me that at the end of the day, what it appears to be is that God releases power as the shadow goes by. Seems to me that the Lord is trying to say things in connection with my kiddos do powerful work. So I'm going to go ahead and release fresh power each and every time, whether or not it happened to exactly touch their skin and get DNA on it or not. Why? Because God can do anything he wants. And I want to always remind you God is more complicated, more creative, more complex, and more beautiful than you ever imagined. May his name be praised. Go to verse 13. Now it really gets weird. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, pause, (laughs) you can't start a story like that. Sounds like a joke, does it not? Anyway, so this uh, group of Jewish itinerant exorcists walked into a bar. (laughs) Right? It just sounds weird. Like, can you, okay, can you please explain to me what you're talking about? Okay, they're Jewish. What this means is that the Jews know God, right? So, So there's this idea that they know Yahweh, and they're saying, listen, there is that which is evil. So anyone that is, that is anti what God wants, we want to bring freedom. We want to bring joy. We want to bring, so they wanted to do something good in the name of God. Then it says itinerant. Itinerant means traveler. So they didn't have a shop that people came to. They traveled around. Exorcist means that they removed demonic influence from people. That's what an exorcist does. We don't normally tend to think of those attached to Judaism. We tend to think of it attached to Catholicism or through Protestantism, right? So there was a group that was saying, wow, I noticed there's power in the name of Jesus. Why don't we utilize that whether or not that's really our team or not? Okay, so let's go back to the story. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, which means demons. And they would say, quote, I command you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. 
End quote. Now, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the demon answered them, quote, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? End quote. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. That went bad. Can we all agree? Yee. Okay. So there was a group of either two guys or seven. You say, well, it says seven. I know. Best manuscripts have seven. Many manuscripts have two. They were sons of a guy named Sceva, who it says was a high priest. There's something wrong with that sentence. Why? There is no such thing as a high priest. For the Jewish people, there is one high priest, right? And the Jewish people record very well. They're very important as ancestry and things like that. They know who their high priest is, and there is no Sceva in that list. This is not a high priest. So one commentator said it best. He said, if Dr. Luke had access to quotations, he would have said, a high priest, in quotations. In other words, that's what the guy kept saying about himself, but he wasn't. Is it possible that people in ministries inflate their worth more than they should? <laughs> yeah, have you ever seen a flyer for a ministry? You're not a prophet, you're the prophet, right? It's not just a night, it's an extraordinary night. You know, it's like we're always hyping everything and we're trying to make ourselves seem better and bigger than we are. And, and so if there's any type of supernatural work, it's gotta be the biggest and best supernatural work. Okay, that's what this team was doing. His sons were involved in it and they were going around trying to do exorcisms in the name of Jesus. Okay, so let's talk about a concept. You guys understand social structures, right? So social structures mean human beings or personalities interacting with one another. So for example, if I say, I know you, that's a social dynamic. If we talk about you're my friend, that is a social dynamic. The whole idea that we would be collectively called a group or a church or a family, these are all social dynamics. If we're gonna talk about social power structures, what that means is it's utilizing the term authority. Who's in charge? Well, we actually all have to agree on who's in charge or it doesn't really work. Does that make sense? And authority means that someone of a higher status can tell someone of a lower status what to do. But that is based on a power structure of saying if, at the end of the day, can you back it up? So here's how it normally works. Imagine we're going back in time and then we are a barbaric tribe, okay? And I'm the king of our tribe. And I'm the king of our tribe because I will beat you down, right? In other words, we're gonna fight about it. If you wanna be boss, you can come challenge me and we will throw down and whoever survives gets to be king. So the only reason I'm still king is because I would kill you, all right? Now, instead of fighting all the time, we come up with an agreement of something called authority. You know I could back it up, but I don't need to fight you every time. So can we all just agree that I'm in charge? It just seems more practical. Because you gotta imagine the other way is unsustainable. Imagine Amanda, my assistant, going, well, pastor, you have 17 fights today. 
seems like a long day. Would you like me to get a protein shake for you? <laughs> yes, that is much fighting. You know what I'm saying? It just, at some point, it's, it's not appropriate. So we have to have an agreement that you believe that I could back it up so I have authority. Cool? And you go, hmm, that's interesting. Well, hold on. America's been doing this forever with our money. Okay? So here's what's interesting. So if, you, if I say, uh, hey, you owe me 100 bucks, what you're going to do is you're going to hand me a piece of paper, which is kind of silly. It's a green piece of paper. It's cute. But it's, uh, what I really want is something valuable, and I can do origami with it. But other than that, there's not much I can do with it. On it, it says legal tender. And so way back in the day, anybody remember what standard we were on? Gold. So what that meant was gold was considered something of true value. So instead of everyone shaving off and carrying little bits of gold in their pockets, they said, someone's going to hold my gold. I'm going to print up paper that represents my gold. And when I come to you, at the end of the day, I could cash it out. But instead of everyone doing that, let's just agree I have it. That's how we deal with money. Now, nowadays, our, our money is not backed up by enough gold. Everybody clear on that one? Okay, that's called politics. Okay. All right, cool. We're going to stick with the Bible. Here we go. So we're pretty used to this idea of you are telling me something, I'm going to take your word for it. That happens in all social structures. So if demons know that Jesus is in charge, he has authority because if it all came down to it, he could back it up. Are we good on that one? Here's the main problem. You need to be part of the team of the jersey you are wearing. Y'all tracking with me? If you're not connected to the group, don't try to use the authority. Ah. It says they were going around casting out demons of people who had evil spirits. Huh. What do you mean had evil spirits? Um, you guys heard of the phrase possession, yes? Uh, you're like, ooh, that movie Exorcist, I remember that. Okay, hold on, that's Hollywood. So let, let's talk about this for a moment. Um, do you know the difference between possession and oppression? People are like, well, that sounds like a little bit detailed. Well, it actually matters because of the next question I'm going to ask you. Do you believe that Christians can be possessed by demons? Now, it's interesting. Some of you said no out loud. Why do you believe that? Do you have any foundation for that? Because there's a big debate in Christian circles. So now, the, the official stance of Bridgeway is that Christians, true believers, cannot be possessed by a demon because possession means total ownership, which would render the Holy Spirit inoperable. And I don't believe that that is allowed. I think that God's going to be like, yeah, we're not doing that. Sorry. Like, I don't care how much you try to sell off our land. <laughs> like, this is my house. Sorry, you're not going to do that. But can demons either through accident, trauma, odd issues, fears, problems, diseases, either through invitation, the occult, things like that. Can Christians have significant attachment, portions of uh, interaction and ownership? Or can Christians be significantly harassed by the demonic? Yes. 
As a matter of fact, so much so that it's very difficult to tell what is possession and what is not. Because here's what's interesting. As a human, I can demoralize someone to be under my control completely, and I'm not possessing them, but it sure looks like I am because I've convinced them that I have absolute control. If a human can do that, what do you think a demon can do, right? So sometimes it's kind of semantics. We here at Bridgeway have a ministry that deals with these issues because they are real and because they are present. And we believe that whoever the Son sets free will be free indeed. And we believe that there is freedom in Christ. We need to walk in our identity. We need to use our authority. We need to use our power. And where we are weak, we need our family to come around us and get us free. Amen? Amen. So therefore, all of this is occurring right here in our midst, and these are ministries that we work with. So how did it go for them so badly? Look at the phrase that they said, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. What's wrong with that story? Got nothing to do with you. And so it sounds like this was not their first day. Sounds like they've been doing this a little while, and it was working. I feel like the other demons after this one were like, shoot, I knew something was weird about them. Gosh, dang it. Should have stuck in there. But this day, this demon was like, "Mm -mm. nope, I'm not going anywhere. You do not have credentials, (laughs) right? And he pushed back. And you're like, hold on a second. Demons can talk? Yes. Yeah, demons can talk. Okay, real quick, question for you. Can angels talk? Okay, you do realize that demons are just fallen angels, right? Not a different race of being. So whatever an angel can do, a demon can do, yeah? Depending on the classification of who they are and what they do, what their type and style is, okay, whatever. But they're not like a separate type of thing. They're just fallen. Okay, so like you go, oh my gosh, like this demon came out and manifested and and hurt somebody. Can demons do that? Well, I don't know. Can angels hurt somebody? Yep. So yeah, of course. All right, so let's dive into this. When they start using the phrase, why in the world would you try to use the authority of somebody you're not connected to? The only reason you would do that is if you believe there was power in the words alone. Do you guys understand that the very concept of spell casting, occultic spell casting, the very concept of incantation? is based on the idea that collections of words with enough faith put behind them can operate in power on their own. Which, by the way, let me just explain something to you, that when you hear about witches, modern-day witches, or witchcraft, or Wicca, and stuff like that, a lot of times people are like, ooh, Harry Potter. Okay, hold on. (laughs) What what normal modern-day witchcraft is is a lot more of this belief that there is energy powers and centers in the earth that are neutral, and they're harnessing those powers through words and faith, and they're making them effective to bring about change. That's what a witch really believes. Here's the problem with that. The Christian worldview says that is bogus because there is no power source outside the supernatural. Therefore, you're either drawing from the power from God's team or you're drawing it from the power of the demonic. There is no neutral power source that you get to utilize. No, I'm just being me. No, you're not. If it ain't God, it ain't good. Does that make sense? All right, 
So why they would use this is if they believed that the words themselves had power. Do Christians do that? Yep. This is where we talk about formula versus faith. I consistently, as a pastor, fall into a weird way of praying where I start praying the right words. And no matter how mature I get, no matter how long I've been in ministry, I keep falling into the same trap. Oh, I got to pray like this, or oh, I got to say it like this, or oh, I got to... That's called magical thinking. Because either it's supposed to come from relationship to God or I'm actually trying to manipulate through words. Who am I playing? Am I playing God? You think God's really like, oh, I didn't see that one coming. You are a good prayer. That's dumb. So be very cautious when we start to think, well, if I say it like that person, and if I say all the right words in the right order, my prayer will be more powerful and effective. Now, there are ways to pray in alignment with the Lord, but that's different. That's a concept, not a magical formula. Yeah? All right. It says, so the demon says, Jesus I know. Do demons know about Jesus? Way better than we do. That which we worship invisible, they have been in the presence of. You don't ever have to convince a demon that Jesus is real. They are quite terrified of that reality. As a matter of fact, when you read in the New Testament, notice how demons react to Jesus. They are not okay. Because they know at any moment, if he goes off on them, they're done. And they want to still play. And he's like, I will shut you down in a heartbeat. So notice, if you have true authority, you don't need to get all that worked up. Jesus walks in. And he's like, you got to go. And they were like, yes, I do. <laughs> They're gone, right? So yes, J James 2.19, you believe there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder, right? Because what's the point? The point is they know God. So they don't, have a they don't have a personal relationship where they have submitted to God. That's the big difference. That's what makes us different than them in our theology. Okay. So then it says, I recognize Paul. Do demons know Paul? Well, yeah, he keeps causing problems. And they're like, I hate that dude. Because what Jesus said was upon this rock, meaning upon my people and the truth of the gospel, upon the church, I will build my church and the gates of hell will what? Not prevail. In other words, when Jesus came in as the rightful king, he came into town and said, I'm gonna let my kids mess with you a lot. And he released his believers out, and we keep screwing up the enemy's territory. So that's why the enemy is agitated, right? Because he's like, I hate Christians. They're always messing things up, okay? So he said, I know God. I know Paul. I don't know who the heck you are and why you think you have authority over me. And the tables turn. Now, this, this is interesting. Notice once again, it uses three descriptive phrases to explain what happened. Here we go. The evil spirit leaped on them, which I think is very cool because it's a bit of a Spider-Man move. You have to jump up in the air and pounce, which I think is kind of cool. All right. It says he leaped on them, mastered them. 
and overpowered them. That's an awful lot of domination. Then it says, and by the time they got out, they were wounded and what? Naked. What the heck? Why the nakedness? That's strange. Okay, so this is where I explained to you earlier, different manuscripts have different numbers for it, and one says seven sons, one says two. <laughs> two makes way more sense here, because otherwise that is a really long fight. Like seven people, you know how long you have to wait? Like you have to wait in a lazy chair while three of them are getting beat up, and then you're just like, it's my turn. Oh. And you run in there. And then trying to get seven men naked just takes a long time. It's, it's a lot of undressing. It's a lot of you have a belt. You know, it, you know it, it's different than like a hockey fight where you pull their jersey over their head. You know, it's, you got to like strip these people down, you know, and they're not going to do it willingly. So you go, man, how long? It was like 30 minutes, right? Of just get that off, get that off, get that off, right? And, hey, put the, stop putting that back on. You know, it's just really messy to do all this stuff. But the time they're out, they're just all messed up. This is what's called a good old fashioned beat down. Because this was not just about domination. This was about humiliation. This was the demon going, I'm going to embarrass you. So you never think you can do that again. Ooh, that got yucky, right? So what was the result? You think people aren't going to hear about this? Ah, pick it up in verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was exuberantly praised. And many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of those burned, and it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Hmm, that's called a revival. That's cool. So what happened? Well, when people heard about this, they freaked out. Now, were they freaking out because a demon just beat up seven dudes? Was the name of the demons elevated? No, but why not? Because here's what's interesting. What they saw was demons are not to be trifled with. This is not a, oh, I'm a big and bad person. I'm going to go demon hunting. Stop with that nonsense. There better be some serious respect for power and authority. If you're not walking with Jesus, keep your mouth shut, right? But what happened was, is they realized demons are a big deal. So when they see the ministry of Paul casting them out, they went, wow, someone greater is here. And they went, this Jesus must be the big dog. And the name of Jesus was glorified. And everybody went, wow, I want to be on that team, right? I don't want to be on the losing team. I don't want to be on the bad team. I, you know what? And all of a sudden, those that had been involved in the occult and those were involved in witchcraft, and uh, they began to bring their stuff, right? And they brought their parchments that were bound together. And these are handwritten things. Why would you need a spell book? Well, there could be spells for anything. You can't memorize them all. So you kind of have a reference book. So they would bring this reference book and they burned it. Why would you burn it? So no one would ever use it again. You can't go out to the store and buy another one. There's no printing press yet. This is the only copy. 
So what you were saying was, I'm done. I don't want that in my life anymore. I don't want any of that, regardless of why I got into that. And most people get into the occult because they're looking for control. They're looking for something that would make them feel better. They're looking for something they can vent their energies into. But it doesn't matter why they got involved. They realize it's empty. There's nothing that is comforting here. This is not what I want. And when they saw the true Jesus, they said, I don't care what it costs me. I'm out. I don't want anything to do with this anymore. And it was about 700 grand worth of stuff that burned up in that fire. Why? In a city that thought money was most important, Jesus became more. They said, I don't care how much it costs me. I don't want to live this life anymore. It's God or nothing. Hmm. So here's how we're going to close. We can either look at this and we say, oh, interesting message, interesting history. Huh. Or we apply it. So how do we apply it? Because this was not written for our entertainment. This was written for our instruction. What are we supposed to learn? Not many of us brought spell books today. But you would be remiss to believe that you were not allowing the enemy footholds in your life in other ways. There's times in our lives when we desperately are either weak or we desperately need something and we make compromises to bring things into our lives that take the place of God. That's what these are. So I don't know what that is for you. Some of mine are so deep down, I've been doing them for so long, they just kind of seem like me. And as much as we are willing to live with a little bit of bondage, live with a little bit of a limp, live with a little bit of compromise, God is not. So he will consistently whisper to you, kiddo, there's more freedom available. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna close out and I'm just gonna pray that the Holy Spirit would shine a light in your life in those areas that need to be put on the fire. Y'all tracking with me? But notice this, when God shines a light, if he's talking to his kids, there is no condemnation. How do we know that? Romans, and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when he shines a light, he's not shining it to shame. He's shining it to highlight, to remove. So we don't need to be afraid. Now, it is a little embarrassing that we've uh, kind of allowed other self-soothing things or whatever. We've allowed some demonic things into our lives. That's embarrassing a little bit, but what God is doing is he's saying, listen, I'm not here to poke you. I'm here to show you a better way. So we're going to pray that after he shows it to us, he would empower us to remove it. And for any that are being harassed by the enemy, we're just going to pray for your shielding, your protection, your cleansing. Is that all right? All right, let's go ahead and do that. Father, this is a good weekend. 
It's a weekend where we speak of your love, your power, that you're creator and sustainer, that you are greater. God, we pray that, Holy Spirit, you would be here to sift and sort our words, sift and sort what we hear, and that you would personally, as you always do, tailor this message for each of us individually. God, show us where it is that you have seen that we have strongholds, things that we've handed over, things that have been taken from us, territory that is truly yours, that we've allowed somebody else to put a sign on. God, would you begin to open our eyes to see things like you see things? Jesus, because of your Power on the cross, we have this infinite victory waiting for us, and we want to walk into it. So we ask, Lord, that you would give us the power to cleanse. And right now, Lord, there are some that are harassed in our midst. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, I cancel assignments of the enemy. I break off all things that are evil and wicked in intention towards your people. And I do so in Jesus' name. And I begin to say, Lord, in your name, we now command that, that not only are they rendered inoperable, but it would be turned back against the enemy. That that which they meant for evil, you would make for good. We do not do so under our own power, but under your authority, King Jesus. That you're the one that says we can be free. You're the one that knows how to dig deep down. You're the one that came to destroy the works of the devil, your word says. So right now, in all of that victory, in all of that power, and all of that authority, we just proclaim, as you are king, would you heal us today? Send the enemy scurrying as you see fit. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we pray, amen.